0: carolina's trusted community bookstore my guest today is mike noise the author of seven days seven years an epic sci-fi adventure published by macaulay and company mike welcome to the program uh hi thank you yeah it's an honor to have you here and mike for our listeners, many of whom are booksellers, I want to state that you and I used to work together many years ago at Borders in San Francisco's Union Square. Yeah. Yeah. And as I am certain that many of our bookseller listeners are also writers, can you tell us a bit about the transition from bookstore employee to published author? Um,
1: my, my story is a long one because I actually started writing this book uh, in college back in the late 90s.
0: <laughs> mm. Nice.
1: And um, I, it took me about four years to write like the first draft of the book and then another four years to do like a second draft of the book. And then for a long time, I kind of sat on it and it collected uh, proverbial dust on my computer. Mm. Um, I would go back and revisit, and edit, change things over the years. I tried um, getting representation or finding a publisher every once in a while over the years even probably a few times while we were working at borders, um, to little success. Um, and then I got to the point where I realized that if I wanted to get this book out there, I probably need to, uh, self publish or some variation of that. Hmm. And I was fortunate that a friend of mine from college, uh, Chip McCauley, uh, was in the process of kind of starting his own, uh, kind of self little like mini publishing, uh, company, um, the McCauley, uh, and, um, and so he worked with me on editing the book and getting it ready for publication and dealing with uh, Amazon on the uh, uh, getting it ready for, for everything that's on the technical end because I'm terrible at that stuff. Mm. And so he's he's been super su- supportive in this, uh, this whole process. And now here we are with me having a book in the world for people to read, which is pretty exciting.
0: Excellent, thank you, Mike. And um, also, before we talk about your book, I want to talk about podcasting for a moment. I'm about to moderate a panel on podcasting at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Baltimore. So we may have some folks who are interested in this topic. Uh, can you tell us about your podcasts?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, some shameless plugs, love it. <laughs> uh, I do. I do two podcasts as. Um, one semi-regularly called the Spirit Guides that is uh, my wife, two friends, Charlie and Max and myself, where we sit down, we try to sit down once a month to pick a spirit, either whiskey or rum or whatever we happen to get our hands on and uh, talk about it, uh, sample it, uh, taste it, describe it, and then at the end uh, rate it and um, tell people, you know, give recommendations. And it's just a matter of um you know what we can get our hands on and and stuff like that so it's it's a it's a fun little project um i think we're we've been silent for a couple months i think life just kind of gets in the way sometimes but we're in the process of trying to get that back up and running um and in the meantime my friend charlie who's also on spirit guides and i started a second podcast that's been going for a few months now called random acts of cinema where uh uh, we review, uh, randomly we review films from the Criterion Collection each week.
0: Nice, that's great, Mike. Listeners, you'll want to look those up. So now, let's talk about your novel, Seven Days, Seven Years. Could you take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners? It's, it's the story
1: of, of two men, I guess, when you, when you boil it down, to it's the story of two men, both named Warren Meyer. Um, one is a 12-year-old uh, young boy in present day, um, who lives with his single mom in a small southern california town up in the mountains and uh, she's just kind of dealing with everyday life that you know kids deal with and then the other part of the story is uh, warren meyer several hundred years in the future who's trying to prevent a uh, like a basically the end of all time like a post-apocalyptic uh, world and, and the story is about uns- unraveling the mystery of how these two men with the same name from Clearly, different time periods are connected because the young boy's having dreams about the man, and uh, and how this, their stories are interweave and eventually connect and lead to the you know the conclusion.
0: Right, and um, what was the genesis of this story? In your acknowledgments, you reference a story by your friend Charlie. Uh, can you tell us? Can you tell us about that? So, in high school.
1: Me and my friends uh, made a, a humble attempt to do a uh, self-published like magazine of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that we had, like an underground magazine because those were real hip with with kids in, in, in high school at the time. And we wrote like articles about what was going on in the school, and like short stories and poems, and you know, just silly stuff uh, that we thought was funny or interesting and we printed it out on just regular paper, stapled it together, and went around and handed it out. I think most copies of the first issue got confiscated mm. before anyone could actually read it. Mm. Um, but in that first issue, he wrote uh, like a one- or two-page short story that kind of was the humble beginnings of this. He uh, Charlie wrote this little one- or two-page short story that uh, kind of, it, it didn't, I don't even remember exactly how much was in that initial nugget of a story but he had definitely established uh warren the kid and like the dreams he was having and i think there's a, there's a scene where where early in the book where warren runs to the uh skips class to go and get a drink of water from a water fountain which makes more sense when you read it in context and um i don't know there was something about those two pages that he wrote that really stuck with me and so a few years later i uh when I was looking for something new to write and I've been, been thinking about that and kind of developing a story in my head of I thought, where I thought it could go. And so I called him and said, hey, do you care if I, I run with this? And he was like, go for it because he wasn't going to do anything with it. Hmm. And so it just I just started writing and it just kind of flowed out of me and became the story that it
0: is. Excellent, thanks. And um, next, Mike, I want to ask you about the song... By the Cowboy Junkies that you quote at the beginning of your mm-hmm. novel, uh, can you tell us about the importance of that song?
1: Uh, I was at the time I, when I started writing this. I was a huge Cowboy Junkies fan, mm-hmm. still am, mm-hmm. and um, the, I don't know. I just the song always just really grabbed me, and uh, I just loved the music. And the lyrics were always, I think, just kind of like spooky and interesting. And as I was writing, um, it kind of in some weird ways helped me kind of like guide the story like' it's, there's no like direct connection between the song in the uh, and the story of, of, of the book, but there was just little elements that I was as I was writing I would pull from the song. and so uh, when I was getting uh, closer to actually thinking about actually publishing this, I emailed the band to to see if it would be okay to include the lyrics of the song in the book and, and they gave me permit, that permission, which was, was very exciting. And so I was able to include that in the book And it was just, it was, you know, it was part of a I guess just part of the inspiration for For building the story And so I just wanted to give people kind of that that background going in
0: Thank you Mike, it's a fantastic song And inspiration can come from everywhere Listeners, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors And then I will be right back with Mike Noyes the Bookin' Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Mike Noise, author of Seven Days, Seven Years, the epic science fiction adventure published by Macaulay and Company. Mike, I want to jump back into the previous question I just asked about the cowboy junkies and continue along the lines of musical references. I'm wondering about Chapter Three, Houses of the Holy. Uh, was this an intentional Zeppelin reference, being that the chapter deals with the ocean? Um.
1: Y- yes. Um. I I think the reason I think I called it Houses of the Holy, Um, A, I'm a big big fan of that song, and so it was an easy choice. But I mean, Mm. there are the elements of the chapter where um, both characters wind up in a church, Mm. even though it's not like the biggest part of the chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was just, it was just something that connected both of their stories. And so it seemed like a, a fun nod to a great band.
0: Great. Thank you. And, um, now I want to talk about setting for a moment, specifically as it pertains to the weather. Uh, in the first section of the first chapter alone, I count the words cold, chill, frostbite, freezing, cold, cold, arctic, frozen. Uh, why was it important to accentuate the starkness of the cold in such a way?
1: I, I think, I mean, and I think, you know, that, that, that connects to both, both stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Warren, young Warren's story, um, you know, it starts in winter when there's, there's snow on the ground and, uh, you know, he's like tr- tramping through the snow to get to school. And then for Meyer, the, the adult in the future, he's traveling across a, a tundra to, you know, go on his quest that he believes he's going to use to save the world. But that kind of weather is very at odds with, with man. It's It's its own conflict in a way. It's, you know, it's not easy for people to exist in that kind of cold weather. And so I think it added a level of like urgency and danger to the story kind of right off the bat, even beyond the external, the other external uh, uh, dangers. Well, with young Warren dealing with the bullies and adult Warren dealing with the, the soldiers that are chasing him, to throw them in such a, a dangerous like atmosphere and weather conditions just adds another layer to what's there they're dealing with and it just seemed like a cool uh not to use as a pun
0: (laughs) um, uh,
1: way to to start the book
0: yeah thanks mike and next i want to ask you about the deliverer and the ascension this to me was one of the more fascinating aspects of this novel can you tell us a little bit about the deliverer and the ascension
1: but i I, I had a i had a a religious upbringing I, i grew up um in the Catholic church with my parents and grandparents. And then at a very young age realized that that stuff wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the the, the iconography and like imagery of it stuck with me. And so a lot of that plays very heavily into the story. Like uh, the rosary Mm -hmm. is is a a very important part of the arc of the story and, uh, and the kind of the mystery of it, because in the future, the kind of, Catholic religion, as we understand it today, has kind of gone to the wayside, mm-hmm. and so when when Walt Meyer gets his hands on rosary he doesn't know what it is or what it means, and um, and I just I think all of that stuff, uh, the, the mystery of it, is what kind of drove me forward in writing the story and figuring out who these characters were and uh, how it all tied together. I hope that answers the question.
0: Yeah, it was. In speaking of getting. Um your hands on something and not knowing what it means you do a lot of things with technology uh in this novel um specifically se- things that are sort of um primitive to us now seem to be um the technology this- that are highlighted in your novel can you tell us why you chose to do this
1: yeah um mm-hmm. as i was trying to establish like what this future world was mm-hmm. um i was trying to you know figure kind of try to create Give people an idea of like where society was as a whole, even though we don't see very much of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of was going in this, um, you know, post-apocalyptic. Like you know, we've gone so far into the future, we've gone back a little, mm-hmm. even though there are still some like you know, like guns are kind of like like laser guns in a way. So there is still some future technology, mm-hmm. and, and you know, some like future technology survived, but we, they've also kind of regressed. And so, you know, like the, like the pocket watch was, is, you know, important to him. And even like, I think in the books, like that, that is kind of old technology as well. Um, I just, I was just trying to create this weird, strange, like future where, you know, the past and present have kind of collided into one another. I think basically is what I was going for.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Mike. And, um, Mike. Besides being an author, you were also a filmmaker. Can you talk to us about the influence film and filmmaking has had on your writing? Um, yeah, definitely. Um,
1: I you know, cause I initially, when I initially started writing in high school, I was writing short stories, and you know that eventually led to writing longer pieces like this novel. And it wasn't until I got to college that I started getting interested in film and writing scripts. And you know, and writing screen screenwriting is a much totally different process. Uh, of the, you know of of how you approach writing, um, just because you have to be so sparse with your descriptions, and so like dialogue heavy, and I think some of that eventually translated over to my writing, because um, I know I know like my my books can be very dialogue heavy at times because I feel like the character connection, the dialogue is what drives the story forward more than anything, mm-hmm. and I really like you know those moments. And so I think that definitely helped uh, shape some of those ideas.
0: Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Mike. And um, finally, uh, I want to ask you a question. And listeners, this does contain an element of um, spoilers. So if you are going to pick this book up and read it, then you may want to pick up your device and press pause i will give you a few more seconds to do so you are pressing pause now okay um mike you rewrote one of the scenes of this novel um seven years seven days after publication can you tell us what this was and why you chose to do it
1: uh yeah so like i said when i first started writing this book i was in college so i was in my you know late teens early 20s when I was writing this and uh, there's characters there's a there's a part in the book where adult uh, Meyer winds up on uh, basically a slave ship out in the ocean and I you know quick pretty quickly wanted to establish the capture of that ship as just a horrible like guy mm-hmm. um, and I think and also I think I wanted to write something that would like shock the reader mm-hmm. at the time and so I, I wrote a scene where the, the captain of the ship rapes one of the uh, kind of like slave girls, slave women that he has on the ship. And um, as I was rereading the book, now that I'm, I'm much older, this the scene still kind of struck me as awkward mm-hmm. and kind of, um, I was uncomfortable with it. But at the time of kind of going through and doing the edit before we published, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, maybe that awkwardness is good. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like, you know, it's okay for the reader to be, you know, uncomfortable at times during a book. I mean, that's that's you know, reading any kind of storytelling is you know an emotional roller coaster, and so to have like an uncomfortable scene like that is okay. Um, and so I let it. I, I kind of I toned the scene down a little bit from what I had originally wrote written, and then went ahead with publishing. And then I had a conversation with my friend Pat about it, and uh, he was kind of expressing. I think one of his concerns about it was not that the rape scene was so descriptive and kind of just like uncomfortable, like I said, but that the, uh, ramifications, what happens to like, when, when, when he gets his comeuppance for his heinous acts, that kind of happens off camera, if you will. Hmm. Um, you know, it's like the, the scene is about to happen, then it cuts away. And, uh, he, my, my friend was like, that doesn't, those, those two things don't balance. If you're going to show, his horrible act, you should show the horrible act that's coming to him. And so I sat and thought about that for a while. And I started thinking about the scene and, um, I guess I've, I've gotten a lot softer as I've gotten older. And like, I find, you know, like rape scenes in movies, I find very uncomfortable. Mm. And like, I really feel like they have to really serve the story in order to, uh, like prove like why they need to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sometimes they serve a purpose in a movie, um, at times or in a story. And, to have it there to not really serve much of a purpose, other than like, yeah, this guy sucks. Which um, you know, there's, it's clear up to that point that this dude sucks, um, and so it just it wasn't sitting right with me. So I went back and rewrote the scene to mirror his demise, so that the well, the the rape still happens. It happens kind of off again, off camera, uh, so to speak, and the scene happens from the point of view of a different character now, and so it still happens, but the reader doesn't have to reads through everything that happens and I think that it's still uncomfortable but not as in your face uh, and unnecessary as it was
0: got it thank you Mike listeners I have been speaking with Mike Noyes the author of the excellent sci-fi adventure novel seven years seven days if you're looking for a fun read over the holidays I suggest you pick this one up Mike thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you for having me
0: Once again, I would like to thank Mike Noyes for joining me to talk about his excellent sci-fi novel, Seven Days, Seven Years. I would like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. If you like, please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space, to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one and support this podcast. In your favorite independent bookstore, grow rich books. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.